Chapter Twenty Two: Emphasis on Salvation Theme, eighteen ninety to nineteen o eight. The provision for salvation. Penances, mortifications of the flesh, constant confession of sin, without sincere repentance, fasts, festivals, and outward observances unaccompanied by true devotion—all these are of no value whatever. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. He made a whole, efficacious offering to God, and human effort without the merit of Christ is worthless. We not only dishonor God by taking this course, but we destroy our present and future usefulness. A failure to appreciate the value of the offering of Christ has a debasing influence. It blights our expectations and makes us fall short of our privileges. It leads us to receive unsound and perilous theories concerning the salvation that has been purchased for us at infinite cost. The plan of salvation is not understood to be that through which divine power is brought to man in order that his human effort may be wholly successful. To be pardoned in the way that Christ pardons is not only to be forgiven, but to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The Lord says, "A new heart will I give unto thee." The image of Christ is to be stamped upon the very mind, heart, and soul. The apostle says, "But we have the mind of Christ." First Corinthians two sixteen. Without the transforming process which can come alone through divine power, the original propensities to sin are left in the heart in all their strength to forge new chains. To impose a slavery that can never be broken by human power, but men can never enter heaven with their old tastes, inclinations, idols, ideas, and theories. Heaven would be no place of joy to them, for everything would be in collision with their tastes, appetites, and inclinations, and painfully opposed to their natural and cultivated traits of character. Happiness is the result of holiness and conformity to the will of God. Those who would be saints in heaven must first be saints upon the earth, for when we leave this earth, we shall take our character with us, and this will be simply taking with us some of the elements of heaven imparted to us through the righteousness of Christ. Review and Herald, August nineteen, eighteen ninety. Justification and sanctification accomplished through faith, eighteen ninety. When through repentance and faith we accept Christ as our Savior, the Lord pardons our sins and remits the penalty prescribed for the transgression of the law. The sinner then stands before God as a just person. He is taken into favor with heaven, and through the Spirit has fellowship with the Father and the Son. Then there is yet another work to be accomplished, and this is of a progressive nature. The soul is to be sanctified through the truth, and this is also accomplished through faith. For it is only by the grace of Christ, which we receive through faith, that the character can be transformed. It is important that we understand clearly the nature of faith. There are many who believe that Christ is the Savior of the world, that the gospel is true and reveals the plan of salvation, yet they do not possess saving faith. They are intellectually convinced of the truth, but this is not enough. In order to be justified, the sinner must have that faith 
which appropriates the merits of Christ to his own soul. We read that the devils believe and tremble, but their belief does not bring them justification. Neither will the belief of those who give a merely intellectual assent to the truths of the Bible bring them the benefits of salvation. This belief fails of reaching the vital point, for the truth does not engage the heart or transform the character. In genuine saving faith there is trust in God through the belief in the great atoning sacrifice made by the Son of God on Calvary. In Christ the justified believer beholds his only hope and deliverer. Belief may exist without trust, but confidence born of trust cannot exist without faith. Every sinner brought to a knowledge of the saving power of Christ will make manifest this trust in greater degree as he advances in experience. Signs of the Times, November 3, 1890. Resisting Temptation, 1891. Many seem to think that it is impossible not to fall under temptation, that they have no power to overcome, and they sin against God with their lips, talking discouragement and doubt instead of faith and courage. Christ was tempted in all points, as we are, and yet without sin. He said, The prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. What does this mean? It means that the prince of evil could find no vantage ground in Christ for his temptation, and so it may be with us. The Review and Herald, May 19, 1891. Perfection not reached by one bound, 1891. We are looking beyond time. We are looking to eternity. We are trying to live in such a way that Christ can say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us live, every one of us, in that way. We may make mistakes. We may err. But God will not leave us in error. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There is hope for us. We are prisoners of hope. Let us grasp the rich promises of God. The garden of God is full of rich promises. Oh, let us gather them. Let us take them home. Let us show that we believe in God. Let us take him at his word. Let not one of us be found distrusting God or doubting him. Let us be growing Christians. We are not to stand still. We are to be in advance today of what we were yesterday, every day learning to be more trustful more fully relying upon Jesus. Thus we are to grow up. You do not at one bound reach perfection. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. I remember in 1843 a man and his wife who were expecting the Lord to come in 1844, and they were waiting and watching. Every day they would pray to God. Before they would bid each other good night, they would say, it may be the Lord will come when we are asleep and we want to be ready. The husband would ask his wife if she had said a word during the day that she had thought was not in accordance with the truth and the faith that they professed. And then she would ask him the same question. Then they would bow before the Lord and ask him if they had sinned in thought or word or action, and if so, that he would forgive that transgression. Now we want just such simplicity as this. You want to be like little children, hanging upon the merits of a crucified and risen Savior, and then you will be fortified. How? 
the angels of God will be around you as a wall of fire. The righteousness of Christ, which you claim, goes before you, and the glory of God is your rearward. God sanctify the tongues. God sanctify the thoughts. God sanctify our minds, that we may dwell upon heavenly themes, and then that we may impart that knowledge and light to others. There is great advancement made for us, and do not stop here. May God help you to make the most of your responsibilities. Manuscript 9, 1891 Justification Explained, 1891 Justification by faith is to many a mystery. A sinner is justified by God when he repents of his sins. He sees Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. Why all this suffering? The law of Jehovah has been broken. The law of God's government in heaven and earth has been transgressed, and the penalty of sin is pronounced to be death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, what love! What matchless love! Christ, the Son of God, dying for guilty man. The sinner views the spirituality of the law of God and its eternal obligations. He sees the love of God in providing a substitute and surety for guilty man, and that substitute is one equal with God. This display of grace in the gift of salvation to the world fills the sinner with amazement. This love of God to man breaks every barrier down. He comes to the cross which has been placed midway between divinity and humanity, and repents of his sins and transgression, because Christ has been drawing him to himself. He does not expect the law to cleanse him from sin, for there is no pardoning quality in the law to save the transgressors of the law. He looks to the atoning sacrifice as his only hope, through repentance toward God, because the laws of his government have been broken, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ as the one who can save and cleanse the sinner from every transgression. The mediatorial work of Christ commenced with the commencement of human guilt and suffering and misery as soon as man became a transgressor. The law was not abolished to save man and bring him into union with God, but Christ assumed the office of his surety and deliverer in becoming sin for man, that man might become the righteousness of God in and through him who was one with the Father. Sinners can be justified by God only when he pardons their sins, remits the punishment they deserve, and treats them as though they were really just and had not sinned, receiving them into divine favor and treating them as if they were righteous. They are justified alone through the imputed righteousness of Christ. The Father accepts the Son, and through the atoning sacrifice of his Son, accepts the sinner. A general faith is not enough. A general faith is entertained by many, and their assent is given that Christianity is the only hope for perishing souls. But to believe this intellectually is not sufficient to the saving of the soul. There will be need not only of faith, but of a trust in God. This is the true faith of Abraham, a faith which produced fruits. Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. James 2.23 
When God told him to offer his son as a sacrifice, it was the same voice that had spoken telling him to leave his country and go into a land which God would show him. Abraham was saved by faith in Christ as verily as the sinner is saved by faith in Christ today. The faith that justifies always produces first true repentance and then good works, which are the fruit of that faith. There is no saving faith that does not produce good fruit. God gave Christ to our world to become the sinner's substitute. The moment true faith in the merits of the costly atoning sacrifice is exercised, claiming Christ as a personal Savior, that moment the sinner is justified before God because he is pardoned. Manuscript 46, 1891. How to Overcome, 1891. John pointed the people to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There is a great deal in that taketh away. The question is, shall we keep on sinning as though it were an impossibility for us to overcome? How are we to overcome? As Christ overcame, and that is the only way, he prayed to his heavenly Father, we can do the same. When tempted to speak wrong and do wrong, resist Satan and say, I will not surrender my will to your control. I will cooperate with divine power and through grace be conqueror. Manuscript 83, 1891. Christ makes up for our unavoidable deficiencies. 1891. Jesus loves his children, even if they err. They belong to Jesus, and we are to treat them as the purchase of the blood of Jesus Christ. Any unreasonable course pursued toward them is written in the books as against Jesus Christ. He keeps his eye upon them, and when they do their best, calling upon God for his help, be assured the service will be accepted, although imperfect. Jesus is perfect. Christ's righteousness is imputed unto them. And he will say, Take away the filthy garments from him and clothe him with change of raiment. Jesus makes up for our unavoidable deficiencies. Where Christians are faithful to each other, true and loyal to the captain of the Lord's host, never betraying trusts into the enemy's hands, they will be transformed into Christ's character. Jesus will abide in their hearts by faith. Letter 17a, 1891. See also a similar statement made in 1885 in Faith and Works, page 50. Flee to Christ as soon as sin is committed, 1892. Many do not pray. They feel under condemnation for sin, and they think they must not come to God until they have done something to merit His favor or until God has forgotten about their transgressions. They say, I cannot hold up holy hands before God without wrath or doubting, and therefore I cannot come. So they remain away from Christ and are committing sin all the time in so doing, for without Him you can do nothing but evil. Just as soon as you commit sin, you should flee to the throne of grace and tell Jesus all about it. You should be filled with sorrow for sin, because through sin you have weakened your own spirituality, grieved the heavenly angels, and wounded and bruised the loving heart of your Redeemer. When you have asked Jesus in contrition of soul for his forgiveness, believe that he has forgiven you, 
do not doubt his divine mercy or refuse the comfort of his infinite love. Bible Echo, February 1, 1892. Discourse at Melbourne, Australia, December 19, 1891. What if we sin after we have been forgiven? 1892. It is the Holy Spirit that imparts repentance to us. Jesus draws us to himself through the agency of his divine spirit, and through faith in his blood we are cleansed from sin. For the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9. But suppose that we sin after we have been forgiven after we have become the children of God, then need we despair? No, for John writes, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is in the heavenly courts, pleading with the Father in our behalf. He presents our prayers, mingling with them the precious incense of his own merit that our prayers may be acceptable to the Father. He puts the fragrance into our prayers, and the Father hears us because we ask for the very things which we need, and we become to others a savor of life unto life. Jesus came to suffer in our behalf, that he might impart to us his righteousness. There is but one way of escape for us, and that is found only in becoming partakers of the divine nature. But many say that Jesus was not like us, that he was not as we are in the world, that he was divine, and that we cannot overcome as he overcame. But as Paul writes, Verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Hebrews 2, 16-18 We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. Revelation 3:21. Jesus encircled the race with his humanity, and united divinity with humanity, Thus moral power is brought to man through the merits of Jesus. Those who profess his name through his grace are to sanctify themselves that they may exert a sanctifying influence on all with whom they associate. The Review and Herald, March 1, 1892. No time to fold our hands, 1892. As we come to feel our utter reliance upon Christ for salvation, are we to fold our hands and say, I have nothing to do? I am saved? Jesus has done it all? No, we are to put forth every energy that we may become partakers of the divine nature. We are to be continually watching, waiting, praying, and working. 
But do all that we may, we cannot pay a ransom for our souls. We can do nothing to originate faith, for faith is the gift of God. Neither can we perfect it, for Christ is the finisher of our faith. It is all of Christ. All the longing after a better life is from Christ and is an evidence that He is drawing you to Himself and that you are responding to His drawing power. Bible Echo, May 15, 1892. Christ's Nature Implanted in Us, 1894. Truth, precious truth, is sanctifying in its influence. The sanctification of the soul by the operation of the Holy Spirit is the implanting of Christ's nature in humanity. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in character and the grace of Christ brought into active exercise in good works. Thus the character is transformed more and more perfectly after the image of Christ in righteousness and true holiness. There are broad requirements in divine truth stretching out into one line after another of good works. The truths of the gospel are not unconnected. Uniting, they form one string of heavenly jewels, as in the personal work of Christ, and like threads of gold they run through the whole of Christian work and experience. Christ is the complete system of truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All true believers center in Christ. Their character is irradiated by Christ. All meet in Christ and circulate about Christ. Truth comes from heaven to purify and cleanse the human agent from every moral defilement. It leads to benevolent action, to kind, tender, thoughtful love toward the needy, the distressed, the suffering. This is practical obedience to the words of Christ. Manuscript 34, 1894. Satan claimed to be sanctified, 1894. Satan claimed to be sanctified and exalted himself above God even in the courts of heaven. So great was his deceptive power that he corrupted a large number of angels and enlisted their sympathy in his selfish interest. When he tempted Christ in the wilderness, he claimed that he was sanctified that he was a pure angel from the heavenly courts. But Jesus was not deceived by his pretensions, and neither will those be deceived who live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God will not accept a willful, imperfect obedience. Those who claim to be sanctified and yet turn away their ears from hearing the law prove themselves to be the children of disobedience, whose carnal hearts are not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. Manuscript 40, 1894. Faith and Good Works, 1895. Our acceptance with God is sure only through His beloved Son, and good works are but the result of the working of His sin-pardoning love. They are no credit to us, and we have nothing accorded to us for our good works by which we may claim a part in the salvation of our souls. Salvation is God's free gift to the believer, given to him for Christ's sake alone. The troubled soul may find peace through faith in Christ, and his peace will be in proportion to his faith and trust. He cannot present his good works as a plea for the salvation of his soul. But are good works of no real value? 
Is the sinner who commits sin every day with impunity regarded of God with the same favor as the one who, through faith in Christ, tries to work out his integrity? The scripture answers, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In his divine arrangement, through his unmerited favor, the Lord has ordained that good works shall be rewarded. We are accepted through Christ's merit alone, and the acts of mercy, the deeds of charity which we perform, are the fruits of faith, and they become a blessing to us. For men are to be rewarded according to their works. It is the fragrance of the merit of Christ that makes our good works acceptable to God, and it is grace that enables us to do the good works for which he rewards us. Our works in and of themselves have no merit. When we have done all that is possible for us to do, we are to count ourselves as unprofitable servants. We deserve no thanks from God. We have only done what it was our duty to do, and our works could not have been performed in the strength of our own sinful natures. The Lord has bidden us to draw nigh to Him, and He will draw nigh to us. And drawing nigh to Him, we receive the grace by which to do those works which will be rewarded at His hands. Review and Herald, January 29, 1895. Surrounded with Heaven's Atmosphere, 1898. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4:19. True conversion, true sanctification, will be the cause of the change in our views and our feelings toward one another and toward God. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. We must increase in faith. We must know the sanctification of the Spirit. In earnest prayer we must seek God, that the divine Spirit may work in us. God then will be glorified by the example of the human agent. We shall be workers together with God. Sanctification of soul, body, and spirit will surround us with the atmosphere of heaven. If God has chosen us from eternity, it is that we might be holy, our conscience purged from dead works to serve the living God. We must not in any way make self our God. God has given himself to die for us, that he might purify us from all iniquity. The Lord will carry on this work of perfection for us if we will allow ourselves to be controlled by Him. He carries on this work for our good and His own name's glory. The Importance of Simple Implicit Faith We must bear a living testimony to the people, presenting before them the simplicity of faith. We must take God at His word and believe that He will do just as He has said. If he chastises us, it is that we may be partakers of his divine nature. It runs through all his designs and plans to carry on a daily sanctification in us. Shall we not see our work? Shall we not present to others their duty, the privilege that they have of growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? This is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 we have not pressed forward to the mark of the prize of our high calling. Self has found too much room. 
Oh, let the work be done under the special direction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord demands all the powers of the mind and being. It is His will that we should be conformed to Him in will, in temper, in spirit, in our meditations. The work of righteousness cannot be carried forward unless we exercise implicit faith. Move every day under God's mighty working power. The fruit of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. If we had exercised more faith in God and had trusted less to our own ideas and wisdom, God would have manifested His power in a marked manner on human hearts. By a union with Him, by living faith, we are privileged to enjoy the virtue and efficacy of His mediation. Hence we are crucified with Christ, dead with Christ, risen with Christ, to walk in newness of life with Him. Letter 105, 1898 True Sanctification Needed, 1902 Two nights ago, I awoke at ten o'clock heavily burdened in regard to the lack of the Holy Spirit's working among our people. I rose and walked the room, pleading with the Lord to come closer, very much closer to His people, endowing them with such power that they may work His work so mightily that through them may be revealed the abundant grace of Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ has given a definition of true sanctification. He lived a life of holiness. He was an object lesson of what His followers are to be. We are to be crucified with Christ, buried with Him, and then quickened by His Spirit. Then we are filled with His life. The Work of a Lifetime Our sanctification is God's object in all His dealing with us. He has chosen us from eternity that we may be holy. Christ gave Himself for our redemption, that through our faith in His power to save from sin, we might be made complete in Him. In giving us His Word, He has given us bread from heaven. He declares that if we eat His flesh and drink His blood, we shall receive eternal life. Why do we not dwell more upon this? Why do we not strive to make it easily understood when it means so much? Why do not Christians open their eyes to see the work God requires them to do? Sanctification is the progressive work of a lifetime. The Lord declares, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 Is it your will that your desires and inclinations shall be brought into conformity to the divine will? As Christians, we have pledged ourselves to realize and fulfill our responsibilities and to show to the world that we have a close connection with God. Thus, through the godly words and works of His disciples, Christ is to be represented. God demands of us perfect obedience to His law, the expression of His character. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Romans 3.31 This law is the echo of God's voice, saying to us, Holier, yes, holier still. Desire the fullness of the grace of Christ. Yea, long, hunger and thirst after righteousness. The promise is, ye shall be filled. Let your heart be filled with an intense longing for this righteousness, the work of which God's word declares is peace, and its effect, quietness and assurance forever. 
partakers of the divine nature. It is our privilege to be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has plainly stated that He requires us to be perfect, and because He requires this, He has made provision that we may be partakers of the divine nature. Only thus can we gain success in our striving for eternal life. The power is given by Christ. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. John 1.12 God requires of us conformity to His image. Holiness is the reflection from His people of the bright rays of His glory. But in order to reflect this glory, man must work with God. The heart and mind must be emptied of all that leads to wrong. The Word of God must be read and studied with an earnest desire to gain from it spiritual power. The bread of heaven must be eaten and digested, that it may become a part of the life. Thus we gain eternal life. Then is answered the prayer of the Savior, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Letter 153, 1902. Opinions and Practices to be Conformed to God's Word There are many who claim that they have been sanctified to God, and yet when the great standard of righteousness is presented to them, they become greatly excited and manifest a spirit which proves that they know nothing of what it means to be sanctified. They have not the mind of Christ. For those who are truly sanctified will reverence and obey the Word of God as fast as it is open to them and they will express a strong desire to know what is truth on every point of doctrine. An exultant feeling is no evidence of sanctification. The assertion, I am saved, I am saved, does not prove that the soul is saved or sanctified. Many who are greatly excited are told that they are sanctified when they have no intelligent idea of what the term means, for they know not the scriptures or the power of God. They flatter themselves that they are in conformity to the will of God because they feel happy. But when they are tested, when the word of God is brought to bear upon their experience, they stop their ears from hearing the truth, saying, I am sanctified, and that puts an end to the controversy. They will have nothing to do with searching the scriptures to know what is truth and prove that they are fearfully self-deceived. Sanctification means very much more than a flight of feeling. Excitement is not sanctification. Entire conformity to the will of our Father which is in heaven is alone sanctification, and the will of God is expressed in His holy law. The keeping of all the commandments of God is sanctification. Proving yourselves obedient children to God's word is sanctification. The word of God is to be our guide, not the opinions or ideas of men. The Review and Herald, March 25, 1902. Sanctification and Experience in Continued Growth, 1908. If we keep our minds stayed upon Christ, He will come unto us as the rain, as the former and latter rain upon the earth. As the Son of Righteousness, He will arise with healing in His wings. We may grow as the lily, revive as the corn, and grow as the vine. By constantly looking to and patterning after Christ as our personal Savior, we shall grow up into Him in all things. Our faith will grow, our conscience will be sanctified.
we will be more and more like Christ in all our works and words. Thank God we shall believe His Word. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Letter 106, 1908.